great inventors of the past have influenced the world we live in today. Thomas Edison gave us the light bulb, phonograph, and motion picture camera. Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. Guglielmo Marconi invented the radio. We're especially thankful for that one. And let's not forget Brooklyn-born inventor George Lerner for his famous American toy, Mr. Potato Head. Today, the Big Apple is home to the creators of many interesting inventions, from a solar-powered MP3 charging bikini to a hoodie that takes photos when your heart rate increases. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, we're talking with modern-day inventors based right here in New York City. Some inventors labor away at their ideas for years, but others become inventors by accident. That's the case with Patrick Raymond, who came up with his first idea while taking a shower. Patrick's the founder of a group called the Inventors Association of Manhattan. Patrick, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Now, I understand you gave up a Madison Avenue career to become an inventor, and you actually became an inventor by accident, right? Yeah, that's right. I was I was reasonably content working in a in a good job but uh, when i was home i couldn't get the shower curtain to leave me alone you you know what i'm talking about i do <laughs> trying to sort of get sticking. stuck on a wet body yeah and i'm i'm a, i'm a, i'm a tall guy i'm a big guy and i just, why couldn't this thing leave me alone and so i invented a solution to hold the shower curtain away from the body i didn't instantly like quit my job overnight i did some some research and found out that you know lots of people felt like you and me. You know, it's like why can't this shower curtain leave me alone? You know, the curved rod is all very nice and good, but I don't want to remodel or reinstall anything. You know, so I'd invented a simple solution um, that creates more shower space without having to remodel anything. And um, yeah, that was the beginning of my inventing uh, career, shall we say? You know. Now this product was called the shower bow. Did you have commercial success with it? Yes and no. Actually, what I learned along the way is that I was very successful getting on, you know, HSN into into all the big retail stores. But then, in fact, when you're a single, uh, what they call a single SKU vendor, meaning you have one company and one product, and that's it, you can actually be really, really subject to problems with, you know, credit crisis. Selling to big retailers on your own is now not something I recommend to independent inventors because really the supply chains are just too huge. You just won't even get into the store. You won't be able to compete. I didn't know that. You know, I didn't know that. All I knew is that I had a good idea and that people liked it. So today I recommend for people to license their invention to a larger company that knows and can easily sell to the big box retailers. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought were the top three things every inventor needs to know. So that tops the list? No, not really, actually, because most inventors don't even get that far. Okay. Um, I would say uh, the first thing you need to know is that there's going to be a lot of work that you're going to have to do yourself. Okay, the first thing is that you need to know is that the difference between an idea and an invention is the work. And no one's going to pay you royalties, okay, just to develop an idea. But they can pay you royalties if what you have is an invention. So what's an invention? An invention is something that has legal protection, either a patent, a patent pending, some copyrights, some trademarks, you know, good legal protection, something that you own legally. The second thing that it's got is got a working prototype, something that can show it working in the real world, not just a concept, not just a sketch. And the third thing you're going to need is at least some initial proof of market demand. So with the shower curtain thing, how many people have shower curtains? 
how many people are bothered by their shower curtain, or is it just you naked in your bathroom who's bothered by this problem? If it's just you and your problem that you've solved, congratulations, but it, there's no market there. So I would say legal protection, working prototype, and market research. Those are the top three things you're going to need to do. But if you've got those, you're three for three, you're actually in a really good position. How hard is it to get that patent? Uh, I'm not a patent agent or attorney, and even even they're confused. But the, <laughs> it's basically, since the patent office opened in 1791, there are now 7.7 million patents, I think close to 8 million. Today, if you apply for a patent, your chances are 50-50. The allowance rate is 50-50, so you can be pending for two, three years and then be denied at the end of two, three years. The 50-50 chance, you really want to talk to a good patent agent or attorney. Don't write your own patent. It's like doing your own brain surgery. What you want to do is make sure that they describe it in a way that is sufficiently broad that you get good protection around your invention, but not so broad that it's going to run into something else that's already been invented and then it'll get denied. So it's an art, not a science. Writing patent applications is an art, not a science. And, and a patent agent or attorney should be an inventor's best friend. You also founded an organization, the Inventors Association of Manhattan, to help inventors, right? Yeah, yeah. We started off at the Chinatown YMCA back in uh, 2007, and now we've grown. We've got 700 members. Definitely the public is welcome. You don't need to be you know, an inventor. You can just be an idea person and come and learn the process. All right, Patrick. Anything else you'd like to add? No, nothing, uh, nothing in particular. I, I just want to tell inventors that the greatest, uh, your best friend should be a, a qualified patent agent or attorney. An inventor's best friend is also an industrial designer, someone qualified to do a prototype, to do it right, and a qualified market researcher. Um, you can do this yourself at a, you know, a public library. And if you don't know how, then come to the club. There's a bunch of honest people meeting, um, helping each other out at manhattan-inventors.org. Patrick, thanks so much for your time. It's my pleasure. Patrick Raymond is a New York City inventor and founder of the Inventors Association of Manhattan. We turn now to Diana Eng, a fashion designer with a techie twist. Her clothing line fuses fashion with technology, even incorporating math and science into many of her designs. Diana was a designer on season two of Project Runway. Diana, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Can I say you're one part fashion designer, one part inventor? Is that a good way to describe you? Yeah, I guess um, I'm kind of someone who likes to work with fashion and electronics, and the fashion and electronics are pretty new. What's your most recent fashion creation? Oh, I've been working on laser lace tops and tees. So um, these are basically traditional t-shirts, but um, they have a bit of a techie twist to them. They're distressed by a laser cutter. So if you think of traditional distressed t-shirts, usually the distressed holes kind of have an unkept style to them, but um, these laser lace t-shirts are distressed with holes that are strategically placed to create lace patterns, and um, they're ultimately like a very comfortable t-shirt that's also has a sort of um, integrated lace pattern into it that makes it fancy enough that you can wear it to the design studio or to work. What's your educational background? Do you have a degree in fashion or in technology or both? Oh, I have a degree in fashion in apparel design from RISD. So um, then how did you get involved with the technology math science side? Well, everything I know about technology, I basically learned on the Internet. 
So um, the Internet is a really great resource these days. You also have a small collection of three scarves whose designs are created with science, math, and technology as well, right? Yes, I do. There's the Miura Ori scarf, and this is a deployable structure scarf. So it's made out of cashmere wool coat material, and I kind of think of it as being like a nice deploying coat for your neck. And it collapses very small and then um, becomes very voluminous when you want to wear it. There's also a thermochromatic scarf, and it has snowflake patterns on it that appear and grow in cold weather. And last, there's a Fibonacci scarf that's knit with number patterns from the Fibonacci number sequence. So, and the knit structure actually is the, um, uses the formula for the Fibonacci number sequence to create the scarf. Where do you draw your inspiration from, Diana? Um, See, I like to read the magazine uh, New Scientist, and I, I think it has a lot of interesting um, new things that are happening in the science community, and usually when I read those things, I think, oh, this could be an, uh, interesting or very appealing as a wearable. You created a hooded sweatshirt that monitors your heartbeat, and as your heartbeat increases, it takes photographs of what you're looking at? Yes, this is the Heartbeat Hoodie. Basically, uh, it linked to a website, and the idea was that it would involuntarily take photos of things of interest during the day um, because as your heart rate increases or accelerates, something interesting is happening. So uh, maybe it's that you see someone who's attractive or maybe um, you're running or maybe you almost get hit by a cab. Uh, but, you know, all these things might um, trigger a heart rate increase. And then at the end of the day, you can kind of look back through um, the photographs and see where your points of interest were. And since it's involuntary, they might not be things that you had actually um, thought about and recognized while they were happening. Yeah, or photographs you might not want to share with other people and tell them where that photograph came from. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Where did this idea come from? I love it. Well, I was thinking about a lot of involuntary blogging um, during these days. And this was actually back in 2003, uh, before it was really easy to blog and send photos from your phone. Now I guess you could easily have the whole thing packaged into a phone and stick it in your shirt pocket. But uh, there are a lot of things that are happening during your day that you might want to collect information from, and it's kind of different to have the information collected for you automatically versus you consciously collecting the information. You also came up with the design for a headphone hoodie, right? Yes, yes. So this was more along the lines of do-it-yourself because currently a lot of fashion and technology can't really be manufactured. It's not that machine washable. But that doesn't mean you can't make it yourself. So headphone hoodie is a project you can make with conductive thread And basically, you can listen to music in the hood and then plug in your MP3 player in the pocket. And so you just put the hood on when you want to listen to the music, and you take the hood down when you don't want to listen to the music. It creates a nice little sound environment for you. Very functional clothing for today's generation, right? Yes, yes. I read online that you also designed inflatable clothing. Uh, Explain inflatable clothing. With inflatable clothing, I was really thinking about how to make the clothing transform and change shape. 
because usually when you have an outfit, it's only one shape, but there's really something interesting that can be happening in the act of transformation. So inflatable clothing uh, is one way to accomplish this. And um, for my inflatable clothing designs, I was looking at um, emerging insect wings and time-lapse photography of blooming flowers to try and capture those movements in the garment. Diana Eng, thank you so much for your time. Great, thank you for having me. That was Diana Eng, a New York City-based fashion designer who works with math, science, and technology. You can check out her website at dianaeng.com. Inventors and inventions have changed the lives of all. Inventors and inventions, let's celebrate them one and all. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Borarki. This morning, we're picking the brains of New York City inventors. Solar panels are often thought of as an eco-friendly solution to ever-increasing energy needs. But one man has boiled down their use to an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, solar-powered bikini. Andrew Schneider is a Brooklyn-based multimedia designer and performer. Andrew, good morning. Hey, thank you. You invented a way for beachgoers to keep their iPods and iPhones charged at the beach when an open socket is no we're in sight. What is this invention exactly? Well, it's called the solar bikini, and instead of uh, you know plugging your electrical devices, your iPod or your camera, or your MP3 player into a, a wall socket to charge, this uses the sun. You're at the beach soaking up rays, and now your electronics can soak up those rays as well. Now, water and electronics—the two things don't seem to go hand in hand. <laughs> well, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people are a little bit. A little bit leery of the fact that uh, you're wearing a bikini made of solar panels and that that is actually putting out five volts directly into an MP3 player. But there's no risk of uh, electric shock, especially um, especially if you're just staying on dry land. If you do go in the water, which you can do, we just ask that you know you unplug your MP3 player first, and then you can take a quick dip and. Um, you just need to dry off completely before you plug back in. Is it a fashionable swimsuit or one that is more about functionality? Well, I like to think that we really combine function and form on this one. It's the classic uh, bikini design. Necessarily, the bikini has to be, you know, have, have very little surface area. And that was the challenge in making this thing because solar power wants to have as much surface area as possible. So it was a real fine line uh, to find a balance between tiny amounts of service area and enough, just enough to actually charge the MP3 player. But we did pull it off, and it is, it, it, it looks really great, I think. The, the actual panels themselves are really aesthetically pleasing. We put them together in a, in a very specific pattern, and it looks kind of, I don't know, retro space age, I guess. How much time and effort went into creating this bikini? I'd say the, from idea to uh, final product, there's about nine months of, of research and getting sourcing the panels and sourcing the conductive thread and wiring it all up and, uh, you know, going back to the drawing board when things started to melt down. And then finally coming up with the specific pattern of sewing these panels into place uh, on top of an existing bikini. It was about nine months of research, and now it takes probably about, I don't know, 80 hours of, uh, of labor to actually put one together, custom-made. What spawned the idea in the first place? I was in graduate school, and uh, I was taking a sustainability course, and we were all kind of going around the table saying what our great ideas were for, 
for you know changing changing our energy habits at a local level or changing our recycling habits at a local level, just changing our habits in general. And I really did not have any ideas at all. I was in this room full of brilliant researchers, and I had nothing. So I just kind of leaned over and made the joke that I would make a bikini that could cool your beer. And um, I don't know, about two weeks after I said that, I kind of kind of dawned on me that, wow, that was actually a possibility with, you know, with new solar technologies, flexible um, photovoltaic cells, and, uh, you know, a few devices like a Peltier junction that could cool your beer. I actually started out making the thing, and uh, the Peltier junction didn't pan out just because you need a lot more power to cool that thing, to, to, to power that thing. And um, as a backup, I just kind of put a, threw a USB port on there, uh, plugged in a MP3 player, and it actually it actually started charging. So I stuck with that. So is this the first invention that you've seen through from start to finish? No, I I, I mean this thing isn't even done. You know, it's a the solar bikini isn't even totally finished yet. It's still it's still a prototype. It's a working prototype, but we still have we still have a ways to go to make it an actual product if we want to bring it to market or something like that. And when I when I'm saying we, I actually kind of mean I. Um, just because it's kind of just me making the stuff. Is this bikini patented? It's not patented yet. Um, it's a real, I don't know, it's a real, it's a real tricky area to get into. Actually, the thing is, I'm not looking to make it big or make it rich or anything like that. I like the exposure so I can sort of get it into people's heads that. Uh, you know, sustainable energy or um, solar energy or sustainable practices is, a, is an actual practical thing. And we can, you know, with the whole DIY movement going on, there's a huge opportunity for people to actually change their, change their energy consumption habits at a very local level. So anything I can do to sort of raise awareness of that is a, is a good thing for me. And I kind of, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy spreading the knowledge and spreading the wealth around. So if someone else wants to make their own solar swimsuit, um, you know, I just hope it's not a big corporation that does it. <laughs> I hope they consult me first. All right, Andrew Schneider, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Andrew Schneider is a Brooklyn-based multimedia designer and performer. Sometimes simplicity is the best policy, and Queens-based inventor Cheryl Manzone proves that statement true. She's come up with a simple solution to a common problem for those with a sweet tooth. You've described yourself, Cheryl, as a woman who loves the creative process. Have you always been this way? Yes, ever since I was a young child. Yeah? I always liked uh, doing things, making things, solving problems. What was the first thing that you invented? The first thing that I invented, <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you. The first thing I invented was a pooper scooper. A pooper scooper? Yes, actually. <laughs> it's many, 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 many years ago. I was a very young girl. No, was that patented and marketed? No, at the time it was not because I was really too young. And it was something that I didn't love doing, but it started me out on other patents after that. Uh, years later then came... Uh, an interchangeable shoe system, which allowed a woman to wear a high heel, mm -hmm. a wedge, and a flat, and take different tops and interchange them with one another. So if she was traveling, she could bring 50 tops with her and just three bases and use the same base on her heel that she could put then on her flat or onto her wedge. So that was my first invention. And that was out there and that sold? Um, I 
had some a little success myself with it, but it's out there now, actually. Somebody else is using it. The invention was done many years ago, and the patent had expired. So somebody else has, is now in the market and doing very, very well with it. You feel proud about that? Sure, I do. I spoke to my accountant, uh, my excuse me, my uh, attorney not too long ago, and I said, this girl is claiming that she invented this when I know I'm the inventor of it. He said, Cheryl, people claim a lot of things. What do you want to do about it? That's got to be tough, say, though, as an inventor. Well, it had expired anyway, so it's okay. Uh, the fact that something, many of my things are out there, not always myself. Sometimes they're licensed, and I have no part of it after that. But uh, it's always exciting to see something that you do. Sometimes you're just a little ahead of your time on, on certain products that you develop. Sometimes the market just isn't ready for certain things, and when I had initially developed it, just wasn't ready. But it's certainly ready for it now. Well, you invented a product to help us avoid, shall I say, sticky situations, right? Yes. Here it is. And Jeremy situations. In the studio. <laughs> and Jeremy situations, yes. yeah. This is a product called a stick pod, right? Yes. How does it work? Well, actually, it looks quite normal uh, until you employ the applications of it. It allows you to take an unfinished treat that you have not finished. Like a lollipop. Like a lollipop or candy, a cookie, whatever you put on a stick as it is today. But it allows you to open the feet so it can stand up straight it also has a slot for a place card, so for a party or something like that, you can utilize it for favors. It holds hors d'oeuvres, so you don't have to wind up walking around holding this toothpick or whatever and not have a place to put it down with a dirty napkin. So uh, the idea behind it, of course, was that it drove me crazy that invariably even myself, not just children, would begin to eat it. Maybe you get a phone call, you have to stop and... What do you do with it? You try to put it gently down on your table, but when you go to pick it up, it leaves something behind. Or get it stuck on a magazine or oh, something. Oh, it always gets stuck on a magazine, so you have to eat a little paper, too. The children don't mind <laughs> doing that, but I do. What it actually looks like to me is a mini tripod. Yes, it's exactly what it is. And it just uh, opens and allows you to hold your treat upright. Now, have you patented the stick pod? Yes, and um, just deciding on which manufacturer we're going to go with, I have a, a strong feeling that I'd like to have it made here in America. So that's what we're deciding right now. Is that to keep the business here in the I States? I would love to keep the business here. I think many things are outsourced, and I think it's taken a big bite out of our own economy. And uh, I want to see it made done here in America. So that's what we're exploring right now uh, as to what manufacturer we will actually be dealing with. But I'm excited about it. It's a real fun, was a fun project, uh, and I look forward to it hitting the market. And yeah, so while you wait for that mass marketing, have you put these out there anywhere? Well, I've done them privately for certain people that wanted them and said, Cheryl, would you do something special for me? So I've done a, a few weddings and a few parties for you know very, very special people in order for them to place their favor. As you can see on them, they have a slot for a name tag or whatever you want to put on them. So I have done them, but I have not sold them because this is something I want to be perfect for the industry. And as I said, I'm waiting to decide what manufacturer we will use here. So I'm hoping within the next couple of months this is out and ready to go. What would you expect to sell the stick pods for individually? 
Well, you know, individually, you're still talking about just a, a few cents, but it would be something I would like to, the applications of it could be for a lollipop company, aside from other things that are put on it. So I don't know that I want to give up the whole bowl of wax and sell it outright to one company, or I will license it separately to different companies. So I guess a company like Charms yes. could put these things on all of their lollipops built in, right? Oh, of course. It's part of. It's just part of the whole unit. It's one stick. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't require any different assembly. So it would be something that they could put on their whole line. Uh, that would be wonderful. Of course, I would love Tootsie also, which is part of, I believe, Charms, to at least take a look at it. But it's always very hard initially to get into a very, very large company. All right, Cheryl Manzone, thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate it, Mr. Bordacki, and I look forward to seeing you again. No, call me George. Thank you, George, I will. That was Cheryl Manzone, a Queens-based inventor. Instead of a lab coat, our next inventor dons a rescue coat most of the time. Chris Landano is a New York City firefighter, photographer, and inventor. He talked with Cityscape's Andrea McCreary right here in WFUV's studios. Chris, welcome to Cityscape. Oh, thank you for having me, Andrea. So how long have you been a firefighter and a photographer? I've been a firefighter for about a little over eight years now, and uh, I've been a photographer working since uh, April 2001. And before that, I studied photography in college. And so I was studying, I was photographing way before, you know, at least six, seven years before I got into the fire department. I understand you were inspired to invent your latest creation while you were working. Yeah, working as a photographer, uh, any professional photographer. I mean, I, I, aside from working from the fire department, I also freelance for a few, a few newspapers. And I ran into a common problem, accessing your, your equipment quickly when you needed it and what you needed accurately. And uh, there are a lot of systems out on the market, you know, whether it's a different belts or different bags or different harnesses. But uh, I just never found something that worked for me. Being a, a street photographer, once I left my, left my vehicle, I would be away for it for maybe an hour, two, three, four hours. And so I just needed to make sure I had everything and that it was comfortable and I, it, it was strategically placed so that where I, it was where I needed it quickly. And so uh, I couldn't find anything on the market. I had used a number of different systems. And so uh, I, I just started looking at other products and I came up with the idea. Uh, I call it TrackPack 360. It's and got, you brought it with you in the studio today. Yes, yeah, right? so this is the prototype. You wear it like a belt. Um, you can see the inside has padding all the way around so that it's comfortable. Belts usually get heavy around the waist, and they can be a little uncomfortable. So if you don't have the padding all the way around, it, it could grind up against your, your hip. What makes it unique, really, is the track that rotates on the outer side of the belt 360 degrees. What adds to the uniqueness are these sliders. This is a special slider attachment that is made to connect to any pouch. Now, when I, I developed this for photographers, but I, I've come to realize that it can be used by any trade professional who wears pouches. You've got law enforcement. You've got military. You've got rescue workers, EMTs, and paramedics. It could be used for recreational. I have a friend that goes paintball, and he wears all these different pouches. So I'll put it on like a regular belt. It's got a male and female clip that attaches together that brings the, the track together. The user takes the slider. Just like I did, I attached it to the back of the pouch. And then so it's got those teeth that grab on and lock. Now you can rotate it 360 degrees. 
it'll be able to go over the front clip. So in any direction, you can have a number of different pouches, depending on how much you trade and how much equipment you need. You can allow it to move freely in any direction, or you can lock it into place. So how much would one of these cost? This is my first invention, and uh, I'm learning as I go. I'm sort of flying blindfolded, but uh, about a year ago, I joined the Manhattan Inventors Association. It's an uh, invention club in Manhattan, and uh, thanks to that club, the resources are unbelievable. So I'm learning right now how manufacturing works, and I've started making contact with some manufacturers. I have a belt that just went to China. They came back with pricing, and it was only one company, and they gave me a good baseline of just to give me an idea. It's probably going to cost somewhere between 10 and $23. And I see that you have a Trackpack 360 T-shirt on right now yeah, with this a slogan. Is my, this is my business. You know, I got You know, I figured let me have a shirt made up so I walk around Trackpack. Hey, people ask me sometimes questions. It's kind of small, but you know, it's it's the way you carry yourself. Yeah. So, do you have a website where people can? Uh, my check website it out? is currently under construction. It's being built with my web designer. Next weekend, we're looking to do a video which will show me talking about the belt, how it works. Um, the applications it could be used for, and really letting people see what this product is. All right, Chris, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about the track pack or being an inventor? I think everyone's an inventor. I think at one point or another, we've all taken a product and we've added something to it to make it unique, to work for us. Just think. Think before you, uh, you know, when you're going to change a product or you're going to do something to it. Just think about it. Hey, do I have a patent idea here? Join a patent club or go to a inventor's uh they have inventor meetings and inventor conventions, so many different ways. All right, Chris, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Chris Landano is a firefighter and photographer living in Queens. He's also the inventor of the TrackPack 360. You can check out his website, trackpack360.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Don't forget to check out our archives at wfuv.org slash cityscape. Show Cityscape some love by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter. We're listed on both as WFUV's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to senior producer Andrew McCurry and producer Morlene Chin. Have a great weekend.